Welcome to this week's Modern Tire Dealer Show. I'm Mike Mangus, editor of Modern Tire Dealer. Whether you import tires directly from Asia or work with wholesalers who do so, you've probably noticed it's taking a whole lot longer for those orders to arrive, and you're paying a lot more for it. Today's guest, Martin Dixon, Director of Research Products for Drury, is here to tell you why and when you can expect to see some relief. Drury is a leading provider of research and consulting services to the shipping industry with offices in the UK, China, Singapore, and India, and has been tracking the shipping slowdown very closely. Martin has some unique insights into this ongoing problem. Martin, so many of our listeners sell tires that are made in Southeast Asia and, and really depend on containers to arrive when they're supposed to, but the shipping slowdown that started last year has really thrown a monkey wrench into things. What used to take, you know, 90 days to arrive now takes twice as long to arrive or even more. And just as uh, distressingly, uh, freight rates have gone through the roof as well. Can you walk us through what's happening and, and how we got to this point? Yeah, sure. So in terms of the um, origins of what's been causing these the slowdown and the big spike in, in freight rates, it's really all down to the disruptions caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. Uh, because the effects of that was firstly to, to make um, cargo volumes moved in ships extremely volatile, um, uh, where, whereas normally these volumes are much more, much more easily uh, predictable. And then coupled with that is that shipping lines' response to this volatility of, of, of uh, shipping demand has been to change their capacity of uh, ships offered into the market to try and match this varying demand. And the effect of that has then stoked problems further down the line um, in the, across the container supply chain, particularly with regard to the availability of uh, shipping container equipments. That is the empty containers which are used mm -hmm. to, to move uh, the cargo. And also, I think the other thing to add here is that like many um, supply chains uh, that uh, many, say, tire manufacturers, distributors, or retailers may have, um, the container shipping supply chain has become very lean. Um, it's become lean because it's had to, because the um, predictability of the trade has enabled that, um, but also the very low freight rates that have been the case now for a decade has made the trade particularly um, unprofitable for some players and certainly quite challenging and therefore they've had to be lean. So the effect of that is that the, the leanness of this um, uh, container supply chain has then been severely tested through the COVID-19 pandemic. And it sounds like there was really a confluence of, of a variety of different factors that hit at the same time or roughly the same time, kind of like, to use a cliche, a perfect storm of, of dynamics that have created this situation. And then freight rates, as you mentioned, uh, have, have spiked considerably. I know six, seven months ago, um, the cost to ship a, a 40 foot uh, container of tires from Southeast Asia to the West Coast of the US was something like five or $6,000, which, which I think that's only gone up since then. So, so freight rates are, are elevated. Do you expect them to remain elevated as a result of the situation? 
Uh, yes, we do, certainly over the short term. Um, I think, um, well, actually, the, the, if you, you, we, Drury publishes um, uh, spot rates on the number of the key trades uh, through its World Container Index, which is completely free of charge. So any, um, any com anyone can go and log in and register with us to get access to that information. Great. And, the stand and the standard cost of shipping a 40-foot con container, say, from Shanghai into Los Angeles was typically... Um, pre-pandemic around $1,500 uh, per 40 foot, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and since then, um, the, the, the price of doing that now has, has increased fourfold um, to, to, to um, um, over $6,000. So, so there's been a big increase in freight rates. And if you look on the trade from Asia into Europe, for example, the increase in, in freight rates there has been almost sevenfold. So even bigger increases there. So oh. it's not just um, North American um, cargo owners that are, that are feeling the pain. And so the, the elevation in these freight rates is, is due to two things principally. One is to do with this disruption that we've been seeing really uh, since the start of the pandemic. And I can give you a bit more around that um, uh, mm -hmm. as we talk through this, right? But I think the other factor which is very significant and has more longer term implications for freight rates is the fact that the carriers have become much better now at managing capacity. The industry is far more concentrated where a small number of carriers controls the large part of the market. And we think therefore that, um, that cargo owners need to face really what is a new normal of much higher freight rates to come. So we don't think that rates are necessarily um, going to um, rise much further over the next few years, but we certainly and we probably expect to see spot rates to fall off a bit through the course of next year. But I think we are in an era where people will need to pay more money to ship cargo than they have historically. And, and that's probably not going to change. We're not going to see a reversal of that. It's just the, just the way things will be moving forward based on your research. Yes, that's right. So I think, I mean, as I said, I think there will be some drop off in some rates and some spot rates and some premium rates. I mean, cargo owners in some cases are paying um, uh, $15,000, $20,000 a box in order to secure um, particular uh, sailings um, and mm -hmm. to secure particular equipment types, et cetera. So the rates are extremely elevated. So we expect to see a lot of these premium rates to, to drop off in time. Um, but I think that long, but over the medium term though, we will not see a return to the $1,500 a box rates that you saw um, pre-pandemic back in, say, 2019. A couple of minutes ago, you mentioned uh, disruptions around the pandemic and wanted to elaborate on that point a little bit. Yes, of course. So, so, just, so there's been, as you say, there's been this perfect storm of a number of different things that have come together at broadly the same time, although there has been some chronology to that. So in the first half of last year, we saw this very sharp contraction in trade mm. as the global economy closed up um, as, uh, as due with these COVID-19 lockdowns and therefore the heavily reduced economic activity. Um, and therefore, in response to that, shipping lines significantly cut capacity. So on some trade lanes, the capacity was cut by as much as 30% through cancelling sailings. Um, and the effect of this was to heavily disrupt the recycling of shipping containers. 
So if you look at most trades, which are particularly those which are heavily imbalanced, particularly the trade between Asia uh, and North America, for example, mm. therefore the shipping lines need to recycle lots of empty containers back to Asia in order to have a sufficient number uh, to available to fill um, new cargo because there isn't enough trade moving back from North America back to Asia. Mm -hmm. So that recycling of containers is critical in terms of maintaining the availability of container equipment. That was heavily disrupted. And therefore, it meant that when the trade started to recover in the uh, second half of last year, with a very, very sharp and very strong recovery, mm -hmm. there were not enough shipping containers at the right place to ship cargo. And that was the, the start then of this major um, con uh, constraints uh, to um, available capacity. And then at the same time, shipping lines were adding additional sailings in order to cater for this big spike in cargo demand. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same, therefore the impact of this then later on, so if you get towards, towards the end of the year, is that we started to see a buildup of congestion in ports. Mm -hmm. And that was partly the effect of COVID-19 then restricting um, uh, some of the labor availability in many of these ports that, that impacted their productivity. But also ports are, are fairly rigid in terms of their capacity um, opportunity because they're highly capital intensive. And therefore their ability to respond to a big change um, in, in shipping uh, throughput um, is heavily constrained. And therefore, the impact then of, uh, of reduced labor availability and the inability to scale up to meet this uh, big, big spike in, in shipping demand was that they became heavily congested. Mm -hmm. And the fact that the, the container availability was so poor, uh, we then saw that many of these ports getting highly congested uh, with shipping containers um, as these containers were all in the wrong place. So you had a lot of empty containers still building up and say around the West Coast of the US mm -hmm. and yet you had a, um, a huge shortage of, of these containers uh, back in Asia. So this created a sort of gridlock um, in, this, in the system. And I think therefore, and also to add to that, it's just not been purely what's been happening on the shipping side. Back along the inland supply chain, you've seen more and more congestion there too because the impact of COVID-19 on staffing levels has, been, has impacted um, trucking companies and warehousing companies. Mm -hmm. There's also been this, one of the big drivers of, the, of this big strong demand for, for, for cargo um, has been this, this uh, growth in e-commerce as, um, as uh, bricks and mortar shops were closed. And therefore we saw a lot of uh, fulfillment issues uh, to fulfill um, e-commerce orders through this uh, constrained warehousing capacity. And then a big driver of this cargo demand growth um, then has been this switch that we've seen of spending away from spending on services to consumer durables, mm -hmm. um, which boosted this, this cargo demand. Um, so the fact that we were all locked down and unable to spend money on going to, out to, to eat or going to the cinema or uh, or um, commuting to work or taking holidays, that spending switch to kitting out our home offices or doing up our houses or, um, uh, or buying gym equipment um, to keep ourselves fit. 
right. so and all that drove a lot of cargo demand so therefore the confluence of all these different factors happening uh, broadly at once or to some extent synchronized had quite a, a devastating effect in terms of the uh, uh, congestion in the supply chain well and it sounds like demand uh increased very suddenly perhaps uh that the shipping industry might have been caught flat-footed in 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 a way um in terms of reacting to this uh sudden increase in demand i know a lot of our listeners around june of last year reported an incredibly acute rebound in demand when all this pent-up uh demand for their products and services just uncorked at seemingly the same time. You know, suddenly they went from seeing very few cars in in March and April to more in May. And then when June hit, everything just went bonkers, which is great for them and great for their businesses. But it sounds like perhaps uh, the shipping industry just was not overall in a position to react uh, quickly to that spike. Uh, yes, possibly. Um, I mean, the the uh, I mean, I think that the uh, the degree of change of um, of shipping demand was quite considerable, and therefore, if you're running a highly asset-based business, whether it's operating ships or ports, it's extremely difficult to scale up uh, very quickly. Um, and I think probably initially. In the early stage, so you're talking about June, June, July last year, mm -hmm. um, the the carriers were to some extent holding back on releasing extra capacity into the market because they were still conscious of trying to hold on to uh, the pricing gains that they'd achieved through uh, the course of the pandemic in the first half of the year. So, as you know, you, as I'm sure your readers will, will, will know very well, that the shipping has been plagued by overcapacity for mm -hmm. a decade, frankly, and that's why it's been so cheap. And their ability to control capacity and manage that capacity during times of, uh, of shipping demand change has been, um, has been sorely tested. So they, were, they uh, were clearly very keen to try and prevent that happening again. So there, were, there was an element of, of slowing the release of capacity um, in, in those circumstances. But I think all this was exacerbated then by the uh, shortage of uh, shipping containers, or at least the containers just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. At the wrong time. Moving, moving ahead, we're in the second half of the year now. When can our readers who are reliant on imports from Southeast Asia uh, expect to see some kind of relief? When will things begin to improve? We talked about freight rates. We talked about how these shipping companies have become much leaner and uh, better at managing overall capacity. But do you expect the, the slowdown that uh, we've seen, will that abate? Will that loosen up a little bit? Will we begin to see a meaningful reversal during the second half of the year? Um, I initially, no, I don't think so, no. In fact, I think it could get worse, frankly, in the short term, because the trade is entering the peak season for container shipping as the as uh, retailers and manufacturers build up inventory uh, for the sort of year-end, uh, the, the peak sales. And so um, through the sort of summer months, as we come into sort of coming June, July, August particularly, is the peak season in September. And through that period, we expect things to be pretty tight. So we expect this port congestion to remain an issue. Um, and don't forget there are other 
issues at play uh, exacerbating this at the moment. So there's been an outbreak of COVID-19 in the port of Yantian in southern China. Uh, that has severely reduced the, um, the capacity available there. It's a major port, a major hub for exports into North America. Um, and that's leading then to increasing congestion of ports around southern China. That'll have ripple effects um, across the supply chain. We saw a vessel get stuck in the uh, Suez Canal not that long ago. That had right. big repercussions too. Um, and of course, you have a number of vessels transiting the Suez Canal, servicing the, um, servicing the east coast of, of North America, particularly coming out of uh, Southeast Asia. So, so we think there's, there's, um, it certainly isn't going to get any better over the, the, over the next few months. What we do think, though, is once peak season has receded and we're back and we're into the fourth quarter, things may start to um, ease a bit. But then you have the run-up in the first quarter of next year to Chinese New Year. We mm -hmm. think that'll be a very busy time. And we expect, therefore, conditions, this disrupt, disrupted conditions to continue through to the end of the first quarter of next year. So overall, it sounds like managing... Uh supply chains will be even more critical for our listeners, their own supply chains, making sure that they're forecasting even more accurately, working with their tire suppliers, whether it's a manufacturer or a wholesale distributor, is making sure they're, they're on top of it. Sounds like they're going to have to really, really focus on, on all of these things in order to get through what you just described until we can start to see some relief they will, yes. So that's going to be critical. But also, if they're in control of their own shipping, uh, there are things that they can do. Um, what they can't do is try and negotiate lower rates. It, this is a seller's market. The carriers control the market uh, so at the moment. So they can't do much about that. Um, but what they can do is to, is to make steps to ensure that they can secure the capacity uh, at the best possible price. Um, and they can do that in a, in a number of different ways. They can benchmark their rates to see how their rates they're paying compares with their peers. Mm -hmm. Drury has a benchmarking club open only to cargo owners uh, that enables that. Great. Um, they can also get some support in terms of how they negotiate with their, with their carriers to secure um, the best rates. And I think one of the, the key things, and which is going to be increasingly important um, going forward, is for cargo owners to um, to present themselves as the uh, customer of choice to the shipping lines, to make themselves as attractive as possible to shipping lines by being very smart at forecasting accurately their future shipping requirements and being very organised about they, how they manage uh, their shipping supply chain so that they are an appealing client uh, to uh, shipping lines who at the moment have uh, severe capacity constraints and can take or reject um, uh, cargo uh, at will. Martin, thank you for joining us today. This is all great information, certainly an issue that we'll continue to cover both in our publication and during our podcast series as we move through the rest of the year and looking forward to, to catching up with you at some point for another update on the situation. Thank you very much, Mike. Look forward to um, joining you again soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's Modern Tire Dealer Show. To contact Martin or to learn more about Drury and the many services it offers, 
go to drewry.co.uk. Have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon.